Well, I too want to greet you in the name of Christ. It's been good for me to have been here already this morning. And uh, just trust that as we go through this time of the message, that it will be a time of inspiration and um, challenge and a blessing to us, edification to the body. The title of the message is uh, in a question form, Why the Sabbath? And uh, we're going to try to answer that question. Uh, The subtitle that I've given is Reaffirming the Principle of Rest. I'd like to turn to Exodus chapter 20 for our text. Exodus chapter 20, starting to read in verse 8. This is, of course, the passage of Scripture where the Ten Commandments are given. And um, I would like to use that as the basis of our text this morning, verse 8 through 11. It reads like this, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you, nor your sons, nor your daughters, nor your male servants, nor your female servants, nor your cattle, nor your strangers who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Light to reach back into the Old Testament this morning and uh, talk about the hit on the, on the subject that rarely gets taught. I can only recall one message that I heard that was taught on the Lord's Day or the Sabbath day, and that was probably when I was in my early teens. Now, I'm sure that It got talked about maybe in general or in passing in other messages, but I can only recall one message, and it was preached here. Lauren Steckley from Ontario preached it. He was here one time for meetings, and he taught on it. That's the only message I can ever remember hearing on this. So I want to wrestle this morning with the... um, what, how it centers and center our, our thoughts on the Sabbath, or better known to us today as our observance of, of Sundays. I felt some time already that it would be good for my own personal study to uh, delve into this subject and then possibly address it with the congregation. And so here we are. Now, you might think that, uh, uh, you might say to yourself, well, James, this is an Old Testament. This is an Old Testament teaching, and uh, we're in the new dispensation. We're living under grace, and uh, so this, uh, we, you know, I I would just like to ask you to just give the next 30 minutes of your time, and um, by God's grace, I would like to help you and myself understand the value of this instruction. I'd also like to just talk about, in the beginning here, allow me to clarify something that oftentimes gets confused. Frequently, we hear a lot about law and grace being talked about in terms of contrast to each other or as if they were at polar ends. 
Law is over here. Grace is over here, or vice versa. And, uh, and, and quite frankly, that is a very shallow understanding of law and grace. And I would, I would say quite wrong. It's a, it's a wrong perspective. Law and grace are not opposite from each other. In fact, to some degree, they walk side by side. Scripture is very clear that it is impossible for me to understand the grace of God if I had no understanding of the law. In fact, God's word says that it is a schoolmaster. The law is a schoolmaster helping me understand my own sin and my depravity. And uh, so it is only when I come face to face with the weight of my sin that I can fully appreciate and embrace the grace of God. So law is not opposite of grace. It walks along beside grace, much like mercy and truth walk hand in hand and not at polar ends from each other. Too often when we view law as opposite of grace, I think that philosophy is reflected in a lifestyle. What we think in our hearts, so we, so we are, that's who we are. How we think, so we live. And I would just say this, dare I say this, that the Western church at large, and again, I'm, I'm stroking with a broad brush, I understand that, but the Western church at large, I'm concerned, has fallen prey to this misunderstood or misconstrued idea. I believe it is directly why we stare divorce and remarriage and lawsuits and adultery, fornication, homosexuality, greed, and on and on and on, the host of other common issues that the church faces today in the West. We have, we have excused our actions by virtue of being under grace when in essence we have not come face to face with our own sin. And... Um, so we, I, I just, we just, I believe we need to get a fresh perspective of the holiness of God, and that's what I, that's what I want to, that's what I want to share this morning. I think when we have that philosophy, it's easy for us to sweep those sins under the carpet and not deal with them, and we don't want to do that. To help us understand this, for instance. I want to illustrate and just ask you this question. How many believe that it is wrong to kill? Well, maybe I should ask it the other way. I only had two hands. Maybe I should ask it the other way. Well, maybe I should ask it again. How many of you think it's wrong to kill? <laughs> okay, let's ask it the other way now. How many think it is right to kill? How many of you think it is right to steal? Does Living under the dispensation allow for us to covet. How about taking the name of the Lord, uh, the, the name of the Lord in vain? Do we swear in His name under the new dispensation? How many of us bow to graven images or commit adultery under the new dispensation? Has grace excused us from honoring parents? 
or telling the untruth about our neighbor? How many think that is right to bow to another God or to worship another God? No, we have a clear understanding, I believe. We have a clear understanding that, that, uh, uh, that the moral law of God uh, is, is not elastic. It is, it is concrete. It, is, it, is, it doesn't change from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And, uh, and, and, of course, God's moral law remains binding. It is also in this list of commandments that he gives us the instruction to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, this leads us up to the first point of the message. God's moral law does not change under the new dispensation. God's moral law does not change under the new dispensation. It is not elastic. It does not, it does not stretch with the shift of cultural norms. Okay? Culture changes. God's moral law doesn't change. So let's go back to scripture again. Remember the Sabbath day. Remember the Sabbath day. And I want to pause right there and just talk about this a little bit, about remembering. Friday evening, I get a text from Roger, and he says that he paid the down payment for the parking lot to be sealed, and that Lonnie is planning on, now this was Friday evening, he said Lonnie was planning on coming Saturday morning to start doing the, 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 the sealing on the, on the uh, parking lot. I text back and forth, we text back and forth a little bit, and my concern right away was, well, are we going to be able to park on the parking lot today, Sunday, uh, if, if they do it yesterday? Oftentimes they want you to stay off of it for a couple days. And so I asked him, is it okay if we have services on Sunday? Yeah, it's fine. He said, it's fine. And so I went to bed. That was late Friday night. I went to bed, went to sleep, got up early yesterday morning to study, and I jumped in the shower, and I don't know if it was the blast of cold water or what, but it's, uh, all of a sudden, it's, we've got Austin Bronson's uh, open house. And we need to get, or Austin Bronson. Austin and Bronson, I, you can tell how often I've used that phrase together. Austin Bronson and Charity. Bronson and Charity's open house. And uh, we need to get there during the day to set up. And, and I was like, oh, you know, just like, oh, it just like overwhelmed me. Like, what are we going to do? I could, I could just imagine Lonnie being out here at 6 o'clock in the morning to get started. And, uh, of course, I quickly went down and, and I was going to text Roger and say, hey, hey, we got to cut this thing off. It's not going to work to do it yesterday and when I turned on my phone and looked, uh, there was a message from Roger, and he says, by the way, uh, Lonnie said he's going to wait till next week to do it. I was like, oh, okay. And I forgot. I never thought about it when we were texting back and forth that we had an event yesterday, and I just slipped my, that, that forgetfulness could have really put things in a tizzy. Um, the repercussions of my forgetfulness could have been disastrous. God pointedly calls us to remember the Sabbath day. 
there must be significant value in this principle if he puts it on the same level or the same plane as the instruction of not murdering or not committing adultery. It must mean something to God. So, what is it that he calls us to remember? Well, he says, remember the Sabbath day. So, what does the word Sabbath mean? Well, it has several different meanings, but one of them is an intermission, or it has the idea of a rest. Remember the intermission. God expounds on this intermission in the following part of the verse, where it says, remember the intermission uh, day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the intermission of the Lord your God. Built into the rhythm of, cre- of the created world is the need to take an intermission, a Sabbath, after working six days. So here's how the order of the rhythm works. Work six days, take one day off. Work six days, take one day off. Work six days, take one day off. That's built into the rhythm of the created world. And it should not be ignored. It is a creation principle. I've I've taught this before already. Those things that are creation principles, I think we really need to take note of. The last part of that passage says, For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. It is a part of the created rhythm. The value of having a day of rest is centuries old and not exclusively Christian. The Jewish faith observes a Sabbath day on Saturdays. Muslims proclaim a a Friday as their holy day. Seventh-day Adventists follow the Jews in following their observance of a Saturday Sabbath. It is also true that in the past, in history, there are different people and groups of people that have tried to eliminate or ignore this principle and the concept of rest. For instance, back in 1793 through 1805, 12 years during the French Revolution, they tried to instill a 10-day work week, and it failed. It never, it never caught on. The Bolshevik uh, Revolution under Lenin's revolt against the, the, the Russian Empire Eliminate, or, 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 and, and when he established the, the Soviet Union, immediately initiated a 10-day work week, and it failed. Later, uh, when Stalin took over, he imposed a five-day work week, and then later tried a six-day work week. And after 11 years, both of these attempts failed. The obvious effort behind these attempts was to, in, to eliminate the intermission in order to gain efficiency. Guess what? <laughs> you cannot fight, yes, you can fight God's created rhythm, but you will not succeed. It's built into creation. <clears throat> and so, one of the first reasons that that there is a that there is a one of the things we need to understand when we think about the Sabbath or the Sunday as we refer to it, the day of intermission. 
is that this does not change in God's perspective from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Okay? The second thing that I'd like to point out to you is that God's moral law is not guided by monetary value, business sense, or logical reason. In other words, obedience is not required only when we favor from it. There's a story that I'd like to share with you, and it is, has to do with the store Hobby Lobby. I'm sure many of you are aware of the store Hobby Lobby. You can see this map and how many different Hobby Lobby stores are across the U.S., and I don't know if that's even current. David Green is the owner of Hobby Lobby and his family today. His family are also part of the business. I picked up a book about David Green some years ago entitled uh, More Than a Hobby, and I found it a very easy read, but I also found it a very intriguing read. David Green started his business in August of 1972. And he borrowed uh, $600. He and a business partner went to the bank. They borrowed $600 uh, with no collateral, just a good word and a handshake. They rented a 300-square-foot building, store, 15 foot by 20 feet. This is 33 feet across here, so 15 feet. By the way, Children, how do, you find the, how do you find the square foot of an area? Come on, math. How do you do it? How do you find, how do you find the area? Length plus? Where are the students? Length what? Yes. Yes, or length times width, right? You take the length of something, take the width of something, that's how you find the square area of it. So they bought a little 300-square-foot building about this wide and about halfway back, a little bit more than halfway back, and that's where they started their business in 1972. The ending sales that year tallied 3,200. As of April 2015, there are now over 600 stores across the nation with approximately 28,000 employees. This business has literally mushroomed. Another interesting fact is the average store is now 5,500 square foot. That's about a 220 by 250 uh, building displaying over 70,000 items of arts and crafts and, and home decor and, and different items like that. How many, how many of you students here, how many, this area right here in the auditorium, I brought my little laser measuring device over here last night just to get the square foot. How many of these auditoriums do you think would fit inside a 5,500 square foot building? Guess. Who wants to guess? How many of these auditorium, the space of this auditorium would fit in a 5,500 square foot building? Ten? Good guess. It's more than that. Times four plus some. Okay, about 46. About 46 of these would fit inside one of these buildings. So big buildings today anymore. 
Today, according to one source, Mr. Green's net worth is $5.8 billion, making him the 79th wealthiest person in the U.S. Now, do you remember a couple months ago I preached a message on, on borrowing and finances? Do you remember that? And I talked about how, how long it would take to count to a billion. How long does it take? Who remembers? Years, right? Was it 40, 43 years? Is that what it was? I don't even remember for sure. Took a long time to count a billion. In... 1998, when the, when the business had been established for about 26 years, Mr. Green faced a large controversial question. And it was as if the Holy Spirit suddenly nudged him and said, David, should you be open on Sunday? Now, we're talking, we're talking probably at that time over 500 stores. And, and to change a ship that size is huge. You want to know how huge it is? After they looked at the sales numbers, they understood that they were taking in $100 million of sales on any given year on just on Sundays. $100 million in sales just on Sunday. And so this is a huge decision for him. Do they shut down on Sunday? He testifies that whether it was a lack of courage or a lack of faith, he decided that he's going to go to the state of Nebraska and shut down all the stores in Nebraska, which tallied three stores. He thought he'd start there. Well, this caught the... This, so, so, so in Nebraska, they, they hung up a, a, a sign on the, on the window, and it said, close Sundays to allow employees time for family and worship. Well, this caught the attention of the media right away. And, um, and uh, be, uh, uh, Bill, uh, his name is... Uh, Bill Haynes, the, the advertising director of that store, of that business, uh, was contacted by the Omaha World Herald. And uh, a reporter called Bill and uh, was inquiring about this thing of shutting down on Sunday. And Bill explained to him a few things, and then he ended the conversation by saying, you know, if everything works out, we're going to close all the stores, not just Nebraska. David Green was sitting in his home drinking a cup of coffee and reading the paper and he came across this article and, and he read what Bill Haynes, his, his employee, uh, told the reporter. If all works out, we're going to close all the stores. He said immediately the Holy Spirit nudged him and, and, and convicted him and it was as if God was saying, okay, David, so if you're blessed you're going to be obedient, but if the numbers don't work out, then maybe I won't do it. And he said right away, he went to the phone, he called up Bill, and he said, Bill, if any other reporter calls, you tell them that we're closing all the stores, period. It's a done deal. 
and, uh, and, 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 and in, it took about two years for this to all transpire. And uh, what, uh, what he didn't know is that uh, this uh, made the, the bankers very nervous because at that point he owed them a lot of money. Well, sales in Nebraska did what they expected and it took a dip in sales immediately, much to the chagrin of the bankers. But a curious thing happened in those stores in Nebraska. Not only did the sales volume begin to rebound to their previous levels, but they kept climbing. How could that be? The day that brought in the most revenue out of all days of the week was now taken away and sales began to exceed previous sales. How can that be? You tell me. By Mother's Day of 2000, uh, to the, the year 2000, all the, all the stores had followed suit, and presently it remains a company that observes the Sabbath principle. It drew the attention of the media. One editorial, particularly, the Daily Oklahoman, had this to say. In an age of elastic morals, and by the way, let me just pause right there. Elastic morals? There's something like elastic morals? No. There's no elastic morals. God, people want to make it elastic, but morals are morals. If they become elastic, they're no longer morals. In a day, in an age of elastic morals and no controlling legal authority, holding to one's belief stands out. Retailers voluntarily closing on the Sabbath will probably remain as rare as ham on a Passover plate. But we commend those who make the sacrifice. They also faced some other issues when they made that decision. One of their main competitors, they, their, their main competitor, also hung up a sign on their store and said, open on Sunday for the convenience of our customers. But possibly the most amazing thing of all is that the year after all the stores closed, the year 2001, sales grew, the volume of sales grew. Not only did the volume of sales grow, but the percentage of profit margin grew from to, to, to numbers that were previously not experienced. Now you tell me how that works. They've taken away 100 million Dollars of income a year. And by the way, anyone that knows anything a, a little bit something about profits, percentages, and, and sales volume. Sales volume, I mean, you can sell 100 items of something, and if your percentage of profit is 1%, you've only made $1 profit. But if you sell 100 items and your percentage is 10% of profit, you've made $10. So you can sell $200, or, or yeah, you can sell $200 worth of, of items, and if your percentage is only 1% uh, or 2%, you've still made a lot, lot less than 100 items making 10%. You see the difference? So, so not only did their sales exceed, the profit margin exceeded. To anything that they've seen before. 
I well recall the day when most of the stores downtown Napanee were closed on Sunday. There may have been a few gas stations, and probably in my little boy's mind, probably maybe more than I even recall, but for the most part, you could drive downtown Napanee, and most of the businesses were not open for commerce on Sunday. By the way, I would also say that not many Christians participated in casual commerce either. Back then, with the exception of the proverbial ox that fell into the ditch. So what changed? Did God's moral law change? No. Has the culture shifted? Have we shifted with the culture? That's the question we need to wrestle with. Let's go back to scripture. It says, remember the Sabbath day. Not only are we to remember it, but remember to keep it what? Holy. Remember to keep it holy. I looked up the word holy. What does holy mean? Well, it had a whole list of description. To be clean, appoint, consecrate, dedicate, hallow, keep, prepare, proclaim, purify, sanctify. All of that describing what it means to be holy. Remember to keep the Sabbath day holy to the Lord. One of God's repeated laments with the children of Israel that we read about in the major and the minor prophets in the Old Testament is their desecration of the Sabbath day. I was talking a little bit with Lamar last night and we were talking about this subject and one of the things he said is that when, when a group of people moves away from the moral law of God, two things were, are always evident. One is their, their desecration of the Sabbath and the other one is their, their lack of tithe. Isn't that amazing? as we move away from the centrality of God's moral law. And so God, again and again, and, and, and I'm just going to point out a couple of these passages of Scripture. There are many, many other passages of Scripture in the Old Testament where God laments the children of Israel um, uh, desecrating the Sabbath. Isaiah 58, 13, 40. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord, honorable, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasures, nor speaking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. And then he goes on in that passage of Scripture. I don't have the time to go there. And he talks about how God will bless Israel, Jerusalem, if they keep the, the Sabbath day holy. But if they fail to do that, then I will light a fire. It says, I will light a fire in the gates of Jerusalem. And the idea is that there will be total destruction. Thus said Jeremiah. Um, Jeremiah 17, 21 through 23. Thus says the Lord, take heed to yourselves and bear no burden on the Sabbath day, nor bring in by the bring it in by the gates of Jerusalem, nor carry a burden out of your houses on the Sabbath day, nor do any work, but hallow the Sabbath days, the Sabbath day as I commanded your fathers. But they did not obey, nor inclined their ears, but made their necks stiff, 
that they might not hear nor receive instruction. This is the, 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 the lament that God had with the children of Israel. Ezekiel chapter 20. And I've just picked out a couple of these verses, not the whole passage. Moreover, I also gave them my Sabbath to be a sign between them and me that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctified them. Yet the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They did not walk in my statutes. They despised my judgment, which if a man does, he shall live by them. And they greatly defiled my Sabbaths. Then I said, I will pour out my fury on them in the wilderness to consume them because they despised my judgments and did not walk in my statutes, but profaned my Sabbaths, for their heart went after their idols. See a correlation at all with the West in this? Do we? Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 26. Her priests, and, and this, this is interesting. Listen to this carefully. Her priests have violated my law and purveyed my holy things. They have not distinguished between the holy and the unholy, nor have they made known the difference between the unclean and the clean. They have hidden their eyes from my Sabbath so that I am profaned among them. When we do not have the ability to distinguish between what is holy and what is not holy, we are on the verge of destruction. And that's why he said, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Would there be a similar lament from God with us today? And the question that I think each of us needs to wrestle with, that I need to wrestle with, is am I guilty of defiling what is holy to the Lord? Now, if you're expecting me to give you a list of things that we should do or not do on Sunday, then you're going to be disappointed because that's not my intent. I will say this, however, that I am concerned how much Christians in the West have adapted or bought in to the cultural norms of our society. And let me just give you some for instances. More and more frequently, I hear of Christian businessmen who send out workers or work crews, particularly on jobs that are far away. And they send them out early Sunday afternoon or evening to get them ready to roll first thing Monday morning. Is this consistent with God's intended intermission? I'm asking the question. I know I'm aware of a trucking business, and I, I don't even know if they're, they're in business anymore. It's a, a Mennonite-owned trucking business where I know at one point they would have their guys come into the shop late Sunday night, and they'd get everything ready. And at the stroke of midnight, <clears throat> the trucks would roll out of the shop. Is that consistent with God's intermission? I'm asking the question. I know of someone, an individual, who worked frequently on Saturday evening until 11.30 or 11.45 before shutting it down for Sunday. Is that consistent with God's intention of intermission? We could talk about recreation. We could talk about hobbies. At what 
point would God lament that you are doing, like he said in Isaiah, your own pleasures on his holy day? I think it's a question we need to ask ourselves. Is it consistent with God's moral law to say that we will not do any business or work on the Sunday, we won't open our own business, yet patronize local businesses slash restaurants for lunch on Sunday? Is that being consistent or keeping with the holy day of the Lord? I think it's a question we need to ask ourselves. A mentor friend of mine had a daughter who was a nurse, and frequently she would be scheduled to work on Sunday. He was okay with that, but he told me that he instructed his daughter that if she is scheduled to work on Sunday, then her next day off she should use as a Sabbath to the Lord, meaning that she wouldn't do her regular normal duties that she would typically do on her day off. She wouldn't go to the bank, do her banking. She wouldn't go shopping, do her shopping. She wouldn't work in the flower beds or whatever it is that she typically would do, wouldn't do on a Sunday. I think that was very wise instruction. I'd like to reiterate again how important this Sabbath thing was to God. In fact, I just... Uh, realized this morning that we're going to have this in our Sunday school next week. Didn't think about it when I, when I got this uh, passage as I was studying. Let me just read it. You'll read it again next week. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak also to the children of Israel saying, Surely my Sabbath you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. You shall keep my Sabbath, the Sabbath, Therefore, for it is holy to you, everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. For whoever, does not, for whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh is the Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. This is how much it meant to God. <clears throat> Therefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. If something is a covenant, how long does it last? Are we part of that? Yes, we are part of this. I, I, I bring this passage out for us to understand that we are in a covenant with God. <clears throat> It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And when he had made an end of the speaking with him on the Mount Sinai, he gave Moses two tablets of the testimony, <coughs> tab, uh, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. So this was at the end of his time with Moses on Mount Sinai. God was very adamant about the Sabbath. Under the law, a violation of this principle could mean death. Now we understand that even though the moral law does not change from one dispensation to the next, grace does add a dimension that they did not experience under the law. Praise the Lord. Which leads us up to our last point of the message this morning. God's moral law works hand in hand with grace. We have some Jewish friends, David and Judy Rubovitz, 
from Evanston, Illinois, that have visited our place, and we have also been to their place for a meal, and we've enjoyed our time together. They are, uh, they are uh, one of, uh, during one of our visits, I began to inquire about their belief and their Jewish faith. I'm fascinated with, with the Jewish faith because I think it has a very strong connection of what's happening today. I found that they are virtually Jewish by name and certainly liberal pretty well in every other manner. However, in our course of conversation, they began to explain to me that David's brother is connected with an Orthodox Jewish community in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And, and they begin to tell me a little bit about the lifestyle that his brother and his family live. Much of their energy is wrapped up in keeping the hundreds of instructions that is issued in the Mosaic Law as well as the laws that are imposed by the rabbis in their synagogues. So, of course, you know inquisitive me. I needed to know what some of those extracurricular laws were that the rabbis impose. And the one that stands out in my mind was how they rectified no work on Sabbath. And of course, they would take the passage of Scripture in Exodus chapter 34, <clears throat> verse 2 and 3, where it says, Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh day shall be a holy day for you, a Sabbath of rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire in your dwellings on the Sabbath day. And so they take this passage of Scripture, and according to this passage of Scripture, flipping on a light is a violation of the Sabbath law because it is kindling a fire. So they were not allowed, or they are not allowed, to snap on a light between sunset Friday evening and sunset Saturday evening. So, how are they going to get around this? Oh, we have timers. We'll set the timer to come on at certain times so that we do have a light even though we don't have to flip on the light and kindle a fire. And I thought that was sort of humorous, but uh, that's how they got around kindling a fire on the Sabbath. <clears throat> Well, let's wrap up. God's scathing rebuke to the children of Israel concerning the Sabbath stemmed from the fact, now listen to this very carefully, his rebuke to the children of Israel stemmed from the fact that their view of the Sabbath was completely reversed from what it was intended to be. The way that they viewed the Sabbath was completely reversed from how it was intended to be. This fact was brought out in the passage of Scripture in Mark chapter 2. And if you want to just flip to it, we're not necessarily going to read this passage of Scripture, but in Mark chapter 2, we have the incident where the, where the disciples and Jesus were walking along and the disciples began to pluck some heads of grain to eat it for sustenance, which was, which was okay. They... If, if, if you needed to eat and you were hungry, you were allowed to go to a stranger's field and pick off the corners of the field and eat, so they weren't violating the Mosaic law at that point. But it was a huge deal to the Pharisees that these men were 
were plucking grains of head on the Sabbath. <clears throat> and, it, and it stirred quite a ruckus. The, the, um, <clears throat> the Pharisees stumbled. The Pharisees stumbled because in their mind, man was created so that there was someone who could keep the Sabbath day holy. Okay? In their minds, man was created so that there was someone that could keep the Sabbath day holy. Plucking heads of grain on the Sabbath violated the holiness that God expected. But Jesus set the record straight. In verse um, 27, he said, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. It is man that needs the rest. It is I who needs the intermission. One day a week needs to be appointed, dedicated, consecrated as holy to the Lord because it is part of the rhythm built into creation. The Sabbath was created for the health, the wholeness, and the sustainability of man. It's for our benefit that the Sabbath was created. Yes, there will be occasions when the unexpected guest shows up on the weekend, which may require a trip to the store on Sunday for a certain item. However, this would be the exception, not the rule. There may be times when the proverbial ox will fall into the ditch and you need to put it out. Fine, I'm okay with that. I think God's okay with that. But do what you can to eliminate the ditch, to not create a ditch. Sometimes ditches are created because of our poor planning and our disorganization on our part. And so do what we can to avoid those times. I think ultimately the questions that we need to grapple with when it comes to remembering the Sabbath day to keep it holy is the question, does my activity on this day promote rest? Does it promote rest? Does it, is it holy before God? Is what I'm doing holy before God? Would he call it holy? Am I conflicting with the rhythm of creation? Is what I'm doing conflicting with the rhythm of creation? And will it desecrate in any way? I think if we ask these four questions and ask them honestly, God will show us. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you that you've given us a day of intermission when we can set aside our normal activities of work and toil, labor, and we can rest. We appreciate your consideration of our need and we give you thanks. Guide and keep us, direct us, and we want to give you glory for all that is said and done. In your name we pray, amen.